You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena, the parochial vicar of St. Anne's Parish in Butte, Montana, and chaplain of Butte Central Catholic Schools. Enjoy. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is straight from Leviticus, the law of Moses, given to us 3,500 years ago. So where does Jesus get this idea that he's suddenly giving us a new commandment? Because that sounds almost identical to what Christ has given here and called a new commandment. Perhaps we could look to a sort of elevation of the call that Jesus gives. Because you look in Leviticus, and the Lord is calling his people to a, a great love, but maybe imperfect in some ways. First, it could be in, in, incomplete in its breadth. So if you're a Jewish person reading the law in Leviticus, and you read the law, love your neighbor as yourself, you're thinking, love the Jewish people with whom uh, I'm living as I love myself. Not, not, the, not the goyim, not the people out in the world, but in a sense, sort of my tribe, the Hebrew people. And this, is, this seems pretty clear that this was the way they were thinking from a, a discussion that Jesus has with a scribe who approaches him and asks him the question, you know, what must I do to attain an eternal life? And Jesus sort of redirects the question back to him and says, what does the law tell you? And the scribe sort of, in a very clever and, and sort of beautiful way, brings together the great commandment, commandment from Deuteronomy and this law from Leviticus and answers Jesus. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus tells him that he's right, that, you know, go and do that and you will have life. But the scribe, being a, an intelligent man, is sort of unsatisfied with that answer, and so he asked the question, who is my neighbor? Sort of, where do I stop? Where does, to what does that extend? And, and after that is when Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. So the parable of the Good Samaritan being a Jewish person is lying on the road dying, and the, the priest and the Levite go around the other side so that they, they don't have to care for him. And then a Samaritan comes along, and Samaritans were those who belonged to the ten tribes, and they'd sort of lost their Jewish identity multiple generations before then. And uh, when they were conquered, they'd sort of intermarried and, and really were no longer compared or considered a part of the Jewish people. But the Samaritan cares for the man. And so he is his neighbor. So Jesus is sort of expanding their idea of who their neighbor is. Like who, to what ought my love extend? And perhaps also this command from Leviticus is imperfect in its degree. Because what what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, it's, in a sense, you could interpret it as a negative thing. Don't do things to your neighbor that you wouldn't want your neighbor to do to you. It's a sort of negative form of the great commandment. Uh, the golden rule, you could say, that our neighbor, in a sense, has equal dignity to us, that you know, the rich have no rights that the poor do not have, the healthy have no rights that the sick don't have, the, the young have no rights that we ought to deny to the elderly, 
uh, sort of levels the playing field of, of the dignity of the human person, which is a profound, profoundly new law in, when it comes in, in Leviticus. So what could be more perfect than that? Uh, well, let's look at what Jesus says. He says, as I have loved you, so you also should love one another. And what's he pointing to here? Is he pointing forward to his crucifixion? Is he telling us that he sacrificed his life for us? He was willing to go to death for us. That's the level of his love. So we ought to be willing to die for one another. Our love for one another ought not to stop short of giving our lives. Perhaps that's, that's a good general principle that he's laying down here. He could be referring back to what just happened. So he, this passage follows upon the washing of the feet. And so Jesus, who's saying in the washing of the feet, I am God, second person of the Trinity. I created the universe by my word. And I've come among you not to rule over you, but to win your love. And so that ought to be for you a model of how to rule over those who are under your care. And I think everyone can at least appreciate the idea of a leader who actually cares for the good of those over whom they rule before their own good. I think for pretty much all of human history, we've assumed that anyone who leads or rules, rules for their own benefit. You know, is looking for their own gain to a certain extent. And I think that's a good thing to assume. You know, it's good because it's more likely that way than it is that, that they actually care for the good of those over whom they rule before their own. I think that's just sort of part of fallen human nature. And I think whenever we do see uh, the occasional leader who comes along who actually cares for those over whom they rule, we're, we're first skeptical and then a little shocked when maybe this person turns out to be a legitimately good and selfless human being. But imagine what the world would look like if sort of those in any sort of leadership role, whether that's governmental leadership or church leadership or academic leaders or even just families, actually, rule, actually ruled in a selfless way. I think the world would be profoundly different if that was sort of the general principle John Lennon wrote a, probably my least favorite song ever written, the song Imagine. And the first line of that song is, Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try, no hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Now I don't want to get too deep into that song, because I could rant all day about how <laughs> stupid and ignorant that is. But... But for the sake of this homily, I just want to point out that most leaders, most of those who rule, already rule as if, as if that's the case. You know, that imagined is already the case for most. You know, the great genocides of the 20th century are the direct result of people living as though there was no religion, no heaven, and no hell. And I think this is, in part at least, why... Jesus calling us to love our neighbor as he loved us is so profound. But that's not even the whole of what Jesus is saying here. Because uh, when we get to the heart of the matter, 
Can Christianity as a religion be boiled down to the sort of perfect moral teaching, you know, the perfect moral achievement? Are we willing to say that the newness of the gospel, the newness of Jesus' commandment, is this sort of revelation of perfect morality, which can be sort of taken and applied in any arena? You know, the leadership one, for example. Can we take sort of Jesus' idea of what a leader ought to be and sort of distill it out and then sort of give it to the world to be, to be acted out in all the leadership in the world? I think to a certain extent you could probably do that. I actually have a buddy who just got his master's in servant leadership. So it's a master's degree. Someone tried to do it and applied it and, and made a master's degree out of it. I'm not exactly sure what you do with it, but, but, it's, but it exists. And, you know, Thomas Jefferson tried to do that exact thing with the New Testament. He took the New Testament and he pulled all of the miracles out of it and, and many of the stories about Jesus as a person and you just left with the sort of teachings of the New Testament, uh, the morality of the New Testament. So he made an attempt at that. You could actually say in many ways that all of modern philosophy is an attempt to take Christian morality and justify it without Jesus Christ in order that it might be relevant to the whole world. And, and to a certain extent, that is believable, but the, it's in general a failed project. Because that's not what Jesus is saying here. I think I myself fall into the trap of this pretty often in my preaching. Because there is a power and authority and a beauty to Christian morality. And a beauty that brings a joy that nothing in the world can bring. Like we see so clearly how destructive the morality of this world is. And we see how, we see the joy that comes in being a a virtuous and holy person. But if we start to think of Christianity simply as a, a morality, then, we're, then we haven't heard the gospel. The newness of the gospel is not a moral teaching. You know, Benedict XVI says, the newness of the gospel is the gift of being with and being in Christ. For the Christian, for us as Christians, being always precedes doing. When we look at the saints, I think we so often get caught up in the great achievements that they have in their life. You know, we think about John Paul II and how heroically he fought communism or how beautifully he brought all of the youth together uh, to take joy in the gospel and the beauty of the church at World Youth Days, how he traveled the world and, and renewed the church in a time of upheaval uh, and, and brought sort of clarity in teachings that had been muddled and all of these great achievements of his life. Or we see Francis Xavier Cabrini who, you know, as a young woman was rejected from entering religious orders because her health was so frail and then founded her own religious order and crossed the Atlantic more, you know, I think more than 30 times founded you know, 67 hospitals and, and orphanages and, and schools for the poor here in the United States. Incredible things. Yet if you asked JP2 or, or Mother Cabrini about those great achievements, they would just talk about the grace of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit working in their heart. Because in the end, 
The gospel isn't about moral achievement. It's about being a disciple. It's about always entering deeper and deeper into the sacred heart of Christ. And when we do that, when we actually follow the Lord in that profound way, then, then the gift of holiness comes not as, not as a as sort of justification, but as a, as a means of shining the light of Christ in order that others will be drawn into that loving embrace. You know, Augustine says in one of his meditations when he's sort of speaking on, on the morality of the church, he says, Lord, give what you command and command what you will. Give what you command and command what you will. What he's telling the Lord is like, as long as you give me the strength to do it, I don't care what you ask me to do. So ask anything of me as long as you will give me the strength to do it. So that's how we ought to approach Christian morality. Because the charity that we're called to is perfect. It is the perfect morality. It's, It's never existed before, nor will any other religion come close to demanding what the faith demands. And that's not because that's not because we're perfectionists. It's because we're disciples. Because it's rooted in that profound friendship. So if you truly desire to be a man or woman of holiness, then be a disciple. And the Lord will lead you on that great adventure of selfless love.